Chris Hahn here on the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. We don't just talk about progressive politics. We tell you how to win because that's what being an aggressive progressive is. Check us out every Tuesday. New episodes on Pandora, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't miss a week. The Aggressive Progressive Podcast with Chris Hahn. You are now listening to Bigfoot and Beyond, featuring the OG bad boys of Bigfoot, the Dr. Heckle and Mr. Jive of Squatchology, the Chip and Dale of Bigfoot, and I'm not talking about the cartoon. Please welcome your hosts, the Bigfoot celebrity couple, Biff Clubo, better known as Cliff Berrickman and James Bobo Fay. Good day, Bobo. How are you doing? Good day, sir. I'm fine. And you? I'm doing all right. I'm pretty excited about our guest today. I want to hop right into it because I know that you have a, you've got an appointment you have to make here. So um, let's jump right into it. We have a fantastic witness. Um, this I met this guy a few years ago at um, that event that used to happen here in Portland called a Hop Squatch. Guy Edwards uh, speaking event he used to do monthly. And um, this gentleman and I just hit it off. We became really good friends. And turns out he has two observations of Sasquatches that are very, very impressive at very close range. And I know how much you love doing witnesses. So I thought Glenn would be a fantastic guest for Bigfoot and beyond. So Bobo, I don't think you've ever met Glenn, but here he is. Glenn, Bobo, meet each other. (laughs) Pleased to meet you, Bobo. You too, Glenn. Thanks for coming on. You bet. All right, Glenn. So um, give us a lowdown, man. I mean, uh, how long has Bigfoot been on your radar? And I know that you had one of your sightings when you were quite young. So um, did, did what, were you aware of Sasquatches before you saw one or, did, or was that the baptism by fire, so to speak? Well, <clears throat> that was uh, back in 1971. And uh, I, I heard about Sasquatch, but I never, never was very interested and never had a sighting or anything. But uh, when I was 10 years old, outside of Watertown, New York, uh, out in the back, we lived out in the, uh, out in the country a little bit. My dad was in the Air Force, and uh, he was stationed there in Watertown. And uh, uh, we, me and my uh, neighbor, there was only the two houses, David, and he and I were walking out back in the woods, and, uh, and that's when we had the, uh, the sighting out there. So yeah, tell us about what you saw and how it came about then. Sure, sure. Uh, David and I were walking. Uh, there's a little path that heads out towards a, a little creek out back. And we were walking on the path, and we were talking. And we just happened to, to look at each other, and um, we both tripped on a, uh, a tree root. Both at the same time, we fell down, and there was a, uh, a log laying across the trail. And we almost hit our head on the, on the log. And uh, I remember thinking, wow, I'm, I'm glad I didn't hit my head on that. And we, uh, we both start getting up, and I look over the log. I'm still laying down, but I'm just trying to get up. And I look over the log, and right there in front of me is the creek. Right on the other side of the creek there, there is this animal that had taken a tree and had worked the tree up and bent it over, and it was, it was eating the leaves off the top of the tree and it hurt us and it stopped from picking a leaf right before it put it in its mouth and it turned and looked at us 
and um, let the tree go. And the tree whipped back up in the air. And then it turned around and walked away down the trail on the other side of the creek. And uh, I realized that, that that was not a gorilla. Because uh, kind of, that's one of the first things that went through my mind was, oh, my God, it's a gorilla. Well, no, it was you know, larger uh, and, and uh, just shaped differently. So anyways, we, my friend David and I, we get up and run back to our houses like our asses were on fire. Scared us pretty good. But uh, looking back on that, you know, I, I, I know there's no way that that was somebody dressed up in a, in a monkey suit or anything like that because of the extraordinary um, physical feat that it had performed right in front of us by literally bending a tree over uh, that was pretty tall um, and uh, eating the, the new leaves off the top. How big around do you think that tree was that it was bending over? You know, I... I don't really know. Uh, I would say probably at least a couple of inches because it was probably a, I bet you it was a 15 foot tall tree, something along those lines. But uh, I was so focused on the animal itself and uh, that I wasn't really looking, you know, at the base of the tree. But I do recall that when it, when it let go of the tree, it whipped back up very quickly and it, and it was uh, much taller than the animal. Do you have any idea what kind of tree it was looking back now? No, just a leafy tree. Just I, a I leafy tree. Know. Yeah, I don't know what type of tree it was, actually. Well, Glenn, why don't you, uh, you, you got a pretty good look at this thing. It was pretty close. Um, can you describe the face for us or what you observed? Like, did you see teeth or the nose or ears or anything like that? No, not on, not on that one. That one, it was, it was black. It had black fur. It was, it was quite large. But the way that the sun was, I think it was slightly backlighting the animal, so I couldn't really get a good uh, look at the face other than it was, it was black. This, it was very dark. Uh, and then, of course, it turned around and walked away. But uh, So on that occasion, I did not get to see uh, the face very clearly. Could you see the hair length of, like, uh, or like, differenti- like a, any differentiation between like thickness of the hair or... Well, um, it was not super long hair. I would say it was uh, a medium. Uh, it wasn't short like a bear. You know, bear hair is, is pretty short. It's longer than that, uh, but not like uh, long like an orangutan or anything like that. I'd say it was in the middle, but it was uh, very uh, dark. It was black. I hear from witnesses sometimes who observe Sasquatches and their backlit that the outside fringes, so to speak, of the hair are kind of reddish tinged because of the light coming through. Did you see that as well, or was it just pure black? No, uh, I did not see that. It looked pure black to me. Interesting. Uh, Now, um, was it close enough that you could make out any of the hands or anything like that? Um, Yes. Um, When it had the tree bent over, and I saw it actually take its right hand, it had the tree bent over with its left hand. It had its right hand, and it was plucking the the new leaves off the top. And that's when it started going towards its mouth, and it stopped midway. And that's when it turned and looked at me and David. And then it hesitated just for a moment, and then it let the tree go. It did not continue with the leaves to its mouth, and I'm sure it just dropped those. But it let the tree go, and then it turned to its left and walk down the uh, walk down the trail because when we saw it on the other side of the creek 
it was um, facing to my right and had the tree bent down from the uh, from the trail on on if I was had been traveling forward on the right hand side. Oh, here's a very specific question for you that you may or not be able to answer. Um, when it was holding those leaves, did you notice if it was holding them between its thumb and the other fingers or between just a couple of the fingers? It looked to me between the thumb and the fingers. It looked like it was plucking off just like a human would. Uh-huh. And that's exactly because I saw it reach and grab them and then going towards its mouth. And it looked like it was between its thumb and fingers. That's interesting because uh, the literature, of course, says that Sasquatches do not have uh, opposed thumbs. But um, other literature points, uh, points out that that does not mean that they're not opposable. And I think that's a big uh, um, confusion in the Bigfoot community, thinking that uh, Sasquatches cannot um, put their fingers, their, their, their thumb to their fingertips um, just because they're, they're, they have a wonky thumb. You know, it's positioned different on their hand than it is on human hands based on the evidence that's been collected. But uh, when Grover Krantz wrote this, not opposed in the same way, people took that as like you're not able to oppose it. Um, and that's just simply not true. Yeah, because that's what it looked like to me. And I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, that's really neat. And uh, what was the skin color? Uh, like on the hands black. and whatever else? Black. The, black. Skin was, the skin color is also black. Interesting. Black. Very interesting. Uh, now, how did that encounter end? Uh, by David and I jumping up and running back as fast as we could back to our homes. <laughs> did you tell anybody? Yes, I went in and told my parents right away. I don't know if David said anything to his folks, uh, but I went in and told my parents right away, and they were like, no, they, they didn't believe me. Yeah, years later, um, you know, they did come to believe me. And my dad said, well, you know, I'm not sure if I would even want to have gone out there uh, and seen anything. Uh, but I'm sure, you know, being that uh, probably the weight of the animal and that the, it was so near a creek there, I bet you the dirt was soft enough that if he had gone back out with me, I bet you there would have been footprints. Well, are you still in touch with David? No, no, uh, I haven't seen him since 50 years ago when this happened. Uh, and uh, my dad was in the Air Force and we moved around a lot. And then, uh, you know, when he retired, we moved to Eugene. And that's when, uh, when I was camping, when I had another encounter very close to Eugene. And uh, just right there. Laid on us. Okay. Okay. This was in uh, um, 1977. I uh, was 16 years old, and me and my friend Aaron would go up to this uh, to this one area um, outside of Eugene, and um, now it's got a lot of houses, but back in that time, uh, there weren't as many houses. And this is, for people who know the Eugene area, this is out 30th, and it goes up over a hill, and then it goes towards I-5. Well, right out there by I-5 is the Lane County Community College. And uh, going up Highway 30, we took our bikes up there. And we'd been camping up there before with some of our other friends. So this was not a new area to us. And uh, we went up, and the asphalt road stops. There's a guardrail. And then we would, uh, there was a dirt road that continued past that guardrail. Well, we would go down and, and hide our bikes and take the sword ferns and cover them up so hopefully nobody stole them. And uh, on this particular occasion, we had a, uh, an army pup tent that uh, my grandmother had purchased for me at a flea, flea market or something. So it was that old, heavy canvas style. And, um, 
Aaron and I had uh, gone down to this one area that we'd been on several occasions before. You go down and, and you kind of have to run down the side of the hill. And then um, you go through and uh, you go through this old stream bed that's overgrown. And then you go through the woods some more. And then there's a big field, an open field. And then right on the other side of that field uh, is a like a little tiny oblong clearing. And that clearing is where we would set up camp. And that's where we did on this particular occasion. And uh, so we had taken some chicken down and all that. Well, there's so much topsoil around that we didn't really have any rocks to put on our on our little grill to, to cook our cook our meal. So uh, Aaron, uh, he wanted to go back. He had forgotten something. And I said, okay, fine. You know, I'll go back too. So we take our bikes, you know, we go back, we leave all our stuff there. We leave the tent set up, all our GAC there. Uh, we didn't have any firearms, you know, we had a hatchet with us, and uh, we're 16. And um, so we go back, and um, we each get on our bikes, and we agree to meet back where we hide our bikes. And I remember this very clearly at 4.30 in the afternoon. So we go down, and and uh, he gets whatever he's going to get, and I come back up, and I'm a little early. And I think I was there like 4 o'clock or something instead of 4.30. And uh, Aaron is at the guardrail uh, where the asphalt ends and the dirt road starts. He's not down there waiting for me where we, uh, where we hide our bikes before, you know, before we go into the uh, campsite. And uh, he looks upset. And I go, hey, Aaron, what's going on? He goes, well, so I thought we were going to meet down there. And he says, well, he says, I was. I was down there waiting for you. And he said, um, well, I can hear something walking around me, but I can't see anything. And I said, well, that, you know, I'm thinking that's kind of strange. So we both go down there. We, we look around, don't see anything. We take our bikes, uh, cover them up with the sword ferns. And I'm looking around, and it's, it's you know, tall trees, sword ferns. There's not really, I, I don't see how anything could be walking around you. Uh, and you can hear the footsteps, but not see anything. I just, it didn't make any sense. So uh, anyway, so Aaron and I, we each grabbed two rocks, one in each hand. And those are for the, uh, for the corners of the grill. So we have something, you know, to hold the grill up so we can cook our chicken with. And uh, Aaron's walking in front of me, and uh, we go down the, the steep little grade there that you kind of have to almost run down. It's too steep to walk, so we kind of run down that, and then we, we go through the woods a little bit, and then we come to that old stream bed that I had mentioned earlier. Now it's all overgrown and everything, and, uh, or then it was. And um, Aaron's in front of me, and we just get to the bottom of that old stream bed. And Aaron drops the rock in his left hand, and it falls on the ground, and it snaps a twig. And the twig goes, snap. And I'm watching him. I'm standing up. He's bending over, and I'm watching his left hand go out. And he's just about there to pick up the rock. And we both hear a snap of another twig off to our right. Well, as I'm turning my head to the right, I can see Aaron starting to turn his head to the right as well. Well, there are just a few feet, I'd say not more than 
not more than 20 feet, maybe even closer than that, there is a creature that has the uh, bushes parted with both hands. He's looking right at us. And when I turned around and looked, he got a, a surprised look on his face like, oh, crap, they saw me. And he let the bushes go. And he turned to his left, which is back towards the road that we came from, the dirt road. And he knocks down this small tree that was probably a good, oh, probably a good three inches across. And he takes his right arm, and as he's moving his right arm across, it's covering up his whole head. I can't even see his head. His arm is massive. And he knocks that tree down, and that tree goes down just wham! I mean, no, it wasn't like he brushed it aside or anything. I mean, he, he flattened it, and then he took off running. Well, this creature here was reddish. I had mentioned the one outside of uh, Watertown was all black. Well, this one was a, a deep red, and it was uh, uh, very clean looking. And uh, I've, I've heard a lot of people talk about when they've had an encounter, they smelled something. Well, on neither occasion did I smell anything. Uh, but the, uh, he looked really clean looking, like I said. So, but when I looked at his face, his face was completely jet black skin. And I remember there's this huge crease across his left, his left uh, cheek. And, but when he looked at us, he just, the expression on his face was so human. And it, it looked exactly to me uh, like someone had taken a, a gorilla and a human and, um, and had mated them. It looked to be an exact cross. And it looked very intelligent. Uh, I could see just a flash of its teeth. I didn't really notice the, uh, the whites around the eyes or anything. For some reason, I had focused in on the side of its face where this huge crease was. Was it a scar? No, I think it was a natural crease. It didn't look like a scar. It looked like, uh, you know, like when people get older and they start getting creases in their face. Kind of like, what... a, like a leathery skin sort of product deal like that? Or... Yes, yes, exactly. Interesting. Yeah. So Aaron and I are standing there and we're like, oh my God, you know, what, what are we going to do? And, uh, and I said, well, obviously he didn't want to have anything to do with us and he's going the opposite way from our campsite. So we said, well, fine, let's go to our campsite. It's already set up and everything. So we go down there and we don't have any problems, no issues. And, uh, so that night we built the fire up, uh, so that in the morning, uh, we'd still have embers and not have to restart the whole fire, just put some on and get it going again. Well, the morning comes around, and uh, I hear footsteps walking around the tent. And the first thing I thought was, oh, my God, he's back to kill us. And uh, it scared the crap out of me. And uh, I had a cotton sleeping bag, and Aaron had a nylon sleeping bag. So every time he would move, you'd hear the swish, swish. So, But when I moved, it was silent. So I slowly got out of, the, uh, out of my sleeping bag, and I went up to the front uh, flaps of this, you know, this army pup tent, and it's canvas. You can't see anything through it. There's no windows or anything. And I just barely parked the two flaps on the front, 
And there is this big German shepherd uh, kind of uh, uh, hunkering down, sticking his nose towards the fire and sniffing at it. And so I'm so relieved it's not Bigfoot back to kill us. Without thinking about it, I grab the hatchet and I uh, jump out of the tent and I have the hatchet raised above my uh, above my head, and I scream at the dog, ah, you know. Well, you would think that the dog, um, tr- you know, surprising any animal, you'd get a reaction. It'd jump back or, or do something. You'd think it, it, it'd elicit some kind of a surprise response or uh, something. Well, this dog didn't do any of that. He just stood right there and uh, didn't even flinch. And he's looking at me in my eyes. And then his eyes go up and he's looking at the hatchet. And then he comes back down and looks in my eyes. And now Aaron's gotten out of the tent. So we're both standing there. And this dog turns around and goes down to the end of this little, this little kind of a, a oblong area where our tent was set up on one side. Then there's a tree line. Then there's that big field on the other. Well, down at the end of this little clearing where we are, um, there's a little rise there, a little 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 tiny hill and on the other side of that there's this super small little creek probably about as big around as your finger so this dog goes down and he stands up on the uh, on this little mound and stands there and looks at us and uh, it's a german shepherd no collar and he turns around and he walks into the woods and then another german shepherd comes up and stands on the little mound in the same exact position looks at us, turns around, goes back in, and another, and another, and another. There were six German shepherds. Not one of them had collars on. And they all did the exact same behavior. They took their time. They all went up on the hill, looked at us, and then walked back in the woods. How do you know it wasn't the same one? Uh, because you could tell where, where one was coming out of the woods and the other had walked back. Uh, where, where the one that had st- stood on the little mound... It walked in the woods uh, in a different area than where the other ones were coming out of. So I don't think it was circling around the same one. I'm pretty sure it was six different animals. How good was the lighting? Oh, excellent. Excellent. And uh, I wish I'd paid more attention to the actual pattern of the fur on the animals. So, I, you know, I could definitely say that it was a different animal. But I'm, I'm sure it was a different animal every time, six of them. How weird. I love yes. that little, it's like a weird punctuation mark at the end of a, an already strange situation. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. Sonidos of our music. Sonidos of our voices. Sonidos of our stories. Listen to the sounds and voices of Latin music and culture with Pandora stations like RMX, La Vida en Pop, El Pulso en Satellites, and podcasts like Ruby Rosa and more. From music to stories, all that we are is in the sonidos of our culture. Listen now on Pandora. So Aaron and I are getting kind of, you know, this is getting pretty creepy now, right? So we're saying, okay, well, we're going to just look around a little bit and um, and see what's going on in that big field beside us. We'd been out there before when we'd been camping before. Well, we go out there and we see this lean-to structure right on the other side of the field, and there's nobody around. 
and it was pretty elaborate lean-to. And someone had built it and put animal skulls all over the lean-to. Well, that pretty much ripped it for us right there. Okay, so we see we see this Bigfoot. We see these these six German shepherds that are acting weird, not scared of us at all. And then we see this lean-to covered in skulls. Uh, we went and packed our stuff up and never went back. And I've asked Aaron, uh, you know, I still know him today. And he says that he remembers it slightly different, and which I'd love to get his, you know, what his complete story was. But I, I, I remember it very clearly like it was yesterday, even though it was, you know, 40-something years ago. And he said that by the time he turned his head, he remembers the hand going across uh, its face uh, before it knocked down the tree. And that animal was pure black uh, skin and uh, reddish. Uh, and that, that was uh, uh, interesting. But, that tree uh, that it knocked down, was it already kind of dead? Was it just a snag or was it a living viable? No, like, it, it was a living tree. Yeah, because I remember the leaves and everything as it was going down. It just wham. Yeah, it was another another uh, uh, example of superhuman strength. That that's why I don't believe it was anybody out there in a in a suit or a costume trying to scare a couple of kids in the woods. I don't believe that was the case at all. And the, and the interim between your first setting and the second setting, were you like just obsessed with Bigfoot at that point? No, no. As a matter of fact, and even afterwards, I've always been interested, but it didn't it didn't consume my life. I didn't go out and try to find it all the time or anything like that. What the hell's wrong with you? I know, <laughs> I know. But what I did do was when we moved from New York and before the second sighting, I actually, my mom took me down to a, a Bigfoot organization in Eugene and they had a big map with pins all over from different sightings. And I told them my story and I remember that they put a pin up off of a uh, Watertown, New York. And Do you know, uh, do you know who that would be, Cliff? What group that might, who it might have been? No, I mean, I'm wondering if that would be like, what is his name? Ron Olson. I think that uh, um, he was down there around that time in the 1970s. That's his name, right? The guy who did the Sasquatch movie with the, right. the, the yeah, uh, that maybe that was him. I'm not really sure who else might have been down there at that time. Yeah. And unfortunately, I don't recall. I just remember my mom taking me down to their their office and and telling them the story and then them, them putting the pin on the map. Yeah, you got a cool mom. Most moms would have took you to a psychiatrist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know they didn't. Uh, they didn't believe me for a while, but I just told them, "Nope, that's what I saw, and that's the truth." And I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not making anything up. And, and finally, both my parents came to believe me. And and uh, it's interesting. My dad just passed away on New Year's uh, Day this year, but we were just talking about it uh, last year before he passed away, and. Uh, he, that's when he had told me that, uh, you know, he, he uh, uh, is not sure that he would have wanted to go down and look around uh, in Watertown when we saw it by the creek, you know, because uh, I'm sure he would have seen some footprints. But he was like, nope, that would have freaked him out. <laughs> so he says, I'm glad I didn't go back down with you. <laughs> do you. Do you think that since you had already seen one, that perhaps the impact of seeing the second one was less than it would have been otherwise? Or... How did seeing one before change the experience of seeing it the second time for you? Well, I think the, the first time, uh, it just looked over at me and David, and then obviously 
was like, nope, he's not going to met, you know, we're not, I'm not going to kill these kids. I'm not going to mess with them. Nothing just turned around and walked away. So I didn't feel threatened. And, and then of course, on the second occasion, when it was, he was right there and I'm looking him right in his face. Uh, the, the look on his face was like, oh crap, they saw me. He, and then turns around and runs away like that and knocks that tree. I mean, he obviously didn't want to have anything to do with this. So again, I didn't feel threatened. But, you know, you do hear stories of, of people uh, uh, feeling threatened or, uh, you know, like the old stories we hear about when people got killed and stuff. But maybe there's, there's all sorts of them, good ones and bad ones, just like there are people. But I think they're a very intelligent animal. I don't think they're completely wild or anything like that. I, I think that they have a high level of intelligence. Yeah, and Bobo, something to keep in mind here, um, when he says 20 feet away, you can pretty much take that to the bank. Um, I don't want to tell, I, Glenn, Glenn has high-level contracts with various corporations and sometimes the government, et cetera, uh, for his kind of work. Um, so I don't want to, you know, we're, we're going to keep Glenn uh, anonymous, essentially. But um, he, what, amongst many things, he has many, many skill sets. I've known Glenn for many years now. But uh, among his skills, his skills are like he's literally a ballistics expert in, in a lot of ways. So when he says 20 feet, you can take that to the bank, man. It's not going to be 30. It's not going to be 50. It's going to be 20, maybe 21. Um, but that's it. Uh, that, that's one of the reasons uh, I, I so appreciate Glenn's story is that uh, he, not, he doesn't have anything to prove. He doesn't really care. He's not try- exaggerating. And um, his estimates for size and, and distance and all that sort of stuff um, are, should be taken at a higher level of confidence than your average witness. Yeah, because that's saying so, because as we know, when we measure stuff out later, a lot of people, most people are pretty way off. Yeah, but I don't think I don't. I strongly think that Glenn's is going to be very accurate. It's kind of like talking to maybe if you're talking to like a professional bow hunter, and they tell me that it was 75 or 80 yards, you can pretty much take that to the bank. And I, I feel the same way about Glenn, um, which is why one of the many reasons I wanted to have him on the show. Plus, clearly he's intelligent and articulate. Uh, I've known Glenn for a long time. I know this gentleman's not lying. What he says really did happen. Even the weird dog stuff, you know, I. Take that to the bank too. If Glenn says it, you can believe it. So you know, what's funny is hearing about a Bigfoot out there sounds way less weird than hearing about six German shepherds. Oh, I know, I know, totally. I think the Bigfoot, which yeah, it might it might be unnerving, a little scary. But when those dogs showed up, I would that would have been enough for me, Glenn. I would have just left there and and <laughs> yeah. never even seen the lean to with the creepy skull decorations and stuff. Yeah, I think we were we were pushing it, but. Uh, uh, yeah, we after that 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 pretty much ripped it. We never went back. Did you guys look for cut marks on the where that lean to was, or do you remember like uh, did it look like there were snap or any fresh snap branches? Well, it looked to me like it was very elaborate. I could did I don't really recall seeing if it, they were snapped or broken or cut, but I think because it was so elaborate and and fairly large, I think uh, you know somebody took a long time to build that. But I was so kind of creeped out and focused in on all the animal skulls. And I was like, where the hell did they get? I mean, it was just covered in them. I don't know why, that, but that freaked me out the most. That whole thing just seemed super, super creepy. So we just went back and got our shit and got the hell out of there. So when you guys went, you guys went there a lot, like, did you ever see anyone down there find people footprints or was there any garbage or, you know, well-used trails by humans? 
Um, yes, we had. Uh, I went to South Eugene High School, and I was part of student government at the time. And this was the uh, you know the late seventies, and we used to go up there. Uh, quite a few of us students, uh, uh, you know, we'd have a group of ten people or so, and we'd go up there and we'd camp there quite often. So we we're very familiar with the area. There's there's uh, trails, you know, not super well worn trails, but more like deer paths that we knew how to get down there. And I had seen um, bear prints up there before, and you know how sometimes a bear, it's 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 left or its its uh, rear foot will step on the imprint of its front foot so it kind of looks like a footprint and i had seen that up there before in the mud but i recognized it for what it was it was a bear that was and i did not ever think that was a a sasquatch uh, or a bigfoot print I was there homeless people around that area at that time no no you never saw anything like that at that time and never saw anybody camping back there and uh, had not seen that lean-to. But uh, then again, it had been some time, you know, probably several months since we had been up there. So it, it, that afforded someone some time to, you know, build an elaborate lean-to like that. And I don't know if it was, a, a, you know, a, a cult thing or they were living up there or as a homeless. Uh, I have no idea. Uh, I just know that uh, I thought that was an inordinate amount of skulls, animal skulls. I was wondering, where the hell did they get so many? Rick Knoll, an really, uh, old-school, real well-known researcher in the Bigfoot community, he found a nest up in Washington, a Bigfoot nest, like eight, nine-foot diameter, on a cliff, on a ledge. Like, I think it, was, it had a cave. It was like a ledge overhang with an overhang over it. So it was kind of like a sort of a cave, sort of. And it was a big nest, Sasquatch nest, and it had skulls on the outside facing down into the valley that it overlooked. And I, I, I believe there was a, in the very middle was a mountain lion skull. But, but didn't you, uh, weren't you turned onto this, uh, to a nest or some bone site or pit or something like that, kind of in the general area, witch pack or something back in the day? That, that sounds familiar to me. Is, is that, is that accurate? Yeah, it was up off the go road, but I, I never found that one. I've seen some other, uh, I found where there's been animal bones stacked by like, you know, Tibias, fibias, ribs, jaws, skulls, but they were like that. That was more arranged. Interesting. And Glenn, do you, do you happen looking back now with the knowledge you have? Would you be able to guess at some of the species of animals that you saw the skulls of, or was it like deer or cow or raccoon or what? what yeah, would you these remember? were. I remember that uh, it was it was deer, and I think it was raccoon and possum. A lot of them were of smaller creatures. And then some birds as well, but nothing as large as a cow or anything like that. I think it was all, you know, whatever, probably just whether it's either finding them or killing them and eating them and then putting the skulls on the lean-to. But it was all stuff like that, like raccoons and, and maybe coyote and, and things of that, that nature, possums, stuff like that. Yeah, that, that's even scarier. You know, if there were a couple cow skulls or something, that'd be, oh, how, what an interesting decoration you have to your, to your camp. But like right. possums and, and raccoons and birds, yeah. And couple, yeah, that's way creepier than I was well, expecting. It was extremely creepy. And that's, again, you know, I, I, uh, the, the seeing Bigfoot there, it, it, it was very, it, it scared us, but he was so obviously not wanting to have anything to do with us and went in the opposite direction. That's why we went ahead and stayed there. I'm sure a lot of people 
think that's nuts in itself. But uh, but then the, the 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 German shepherds, you know, we're upping the creepiness factor. But that lean to with the skulls, that that was it, done. <laughs> yeah. I'm picked up by the dogs still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a very strange and uh, encounter, especially. Uh, one thing that I still remember to this day was me literally launching myself out of the pup tent with the hatchet above my head. You would think that any other animal would would um, recoil or run back a few steps or something. And this animal absolutely did not. He just looked up at me like, who the hell do you think you are? And stood his ground. And then I was watching his eyes go from my eyes to my hatchet back to my eyes and then were they, were they extra large like were they extra large nope. dogs or were they different sized they they were all look like full-grown german shepherds so fairly large dogs probably you know 70 75 pounds a piece what time was it uh well that when we left that was in the morning because remember we had been sleeping and uh, we were just woken up by the sound of footsteps around the tent and that's that's when i was thinking oh my god bigfoot's back to kill us and it was, in fact, the German Shepherds. And you, so, you saw the Sasquatch in late afternoon, right? Yes. Yep. That was at uh, about, oh, 4.30, because I was supposed to have met Aaron back at where we hide our bikes at 4.30. But I, I arrived earlier, and so had he. And he was waiting at the guardrail at the end of the asphalt where the dirt road began. And that's when he told me the reason he was waiting for me up there is because he was waiting, had been waiting for us by the bikes, or where we hide the bikes, and he could hear footsteps around him but couldn't see anything, and it creeped him out. So he decided to wait at the guardrail. So when we both went down there, look around, uh, like I said, it wasn't overly brushy. It was, you know, tall trees with a lot of sword ferns, so I'm not sure even if it was a deer or something, unless it was a really small animal that was hidden by the sword ferns that might have been walking around. Uh, I don't know how anything could have been walking around him without being seen. And so by the time we got, you know, that we each got the two rocks, walked down, by the time we got down to that uh, old stream bed that was overgrown, uh, I'd say it was probably about 4.30 in the afternoon. And this is summertime, so plenty of light. Um, and, uh, now, you said you used to go to this area of, with some frequency. Um, yes. Did you ever notice, like, maybe uh, varmint hunters or hunters of any sort in the area? I'm curious about uh, maybe what could have accumulated so many small skulls. Is it just yeah. kids, kids shooting at things because that's what kids do? Or What, what, you, what are your we, thoughts there? Yeah, we had never seen anybody uh, down there before, usually just our group. Uh, I like I'd said, we had a, you know, a student government. We all got along and would go down there and, and uh, uh, you know, hang out and have our campfires and have fun and everything. And, but I never saw anybody else there, any other campers that were not within our group. Uh, one thing that I had noticed over the times, though, that we had been down there is I noticed that the woods were always unusually quiet. And, you know, normally you'll hear birds and things of that nature. And that's one thing that I'd always noticed up there, that it would just seem too quiet. And you'd, you'd hear a squirrel going through the trees or something. And it was making, it was because the, the place was so quiet, it'd make a lot of noise. And, but that is something that I recall is that they, the woods didn't seem to have the, 
the birds and just the animals talking and moving about like uh, you will, uh, like now, you know, I live in the country now and you get all sorts of noises uh, and uh, birds talking and, you know, at night coyotes and raccoons and all sorts of stuff. And, and, uh, but that's one thing that I do remember about that area was it always just seemed a little bit too quiet. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. I'm just sitting here wondering about the connection between all those dead animals, because there were skulls. We know there were dead animals there. And the presence of a Sasquatch, and maybe even the dog. And I'm trying to, it might be one of these chicken chicken or the egg situations, like, was the Sasquatch there because maybe people were critter hunting and there were a bunch of corpses laying around? It was just easy meals to pick up. And, you know, in the same sort of way that Sasquatches are known to raid uh, uh, traps, you know, right. um, that sort of thing. Or was the Sasquatch actually doing the killing and then humans might have been in the area collecting the skulls and then using them as decorations on their on their lean-to? Um, yeah. Unless you think that the Sasquatch has made the lean to, is, is that is that something that you've considered or no? Well, you know, actually, I had not considered that. I just assumed that it was human. Uh, I just, I never, uh, I never thought that the 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 Sasquatch had built it for some reason. When I yeah. saw it, I just, uh, I just thought a human had built it and. They're probably out of their mind, and I want to. I want to get out of here. <laughs> you know? And you know, one one thing too that on both of my encounters, uh, the one outside of Watertown, New York, and the one outside of Eugene, the one thing that I find interesting in both of those is their proximity to to uh, civilization, very close to houses. I mean, uh, it's, they're not way on both those occasions. It wasn't way out in the middle of the woods, you know, on some hunting trip where there's nobody around for miles and miles. Both of these encounters were very, very close to civilization. I find that interesting. Well, how close, how close would be the closest homes would you say? Well, um, in Watertown, New York, when I was walking with my friend David, gosh, that's only maybe a, a couple of hundred yards, a couple hundred meters behind uh, his house. Uh, my house was, was uh, we had this huge yard about the size, almost the size of a football field. And then the house I lived in was on the side of the, the yard. And his house was um, on the end of the yard and then on the other end was the highway that went by. So he, he was away from the highway. And then the woods behind his house, where that little creek was, was, was not far at all. And uh, it, it, I, bet, I bet you, now that I think about it, you know, because being a little kid, things look bigger. But I bet you, I bet you it wasn't more than 100 meters behind his house. That's interesting because the behaviors of the Sasquatches in both cases were just like, oh, my gosh, they saw me and they're out of there. Like uh, yeah. you, you did note that uh, that seems surprised almost, or at least we're interpreting the the, the reaction as surprise that it, it had been seen, and of course leaving the area immediately. Most Sasquatch sightings are right; they just leave. You know, Patterson Gimlin film that sort of said like, "Oh, that's what that is," and they leave right away. But both of these seem rather surprised and got the heck out pretty quickly, and yes. that that might be uh, indicative of them being so close to humans um, in the houses and whatever. Yeah, the the black one outside of Watertown, it. It didn't move with a sense of urgency. Yes, it did let go of the tree, and, and it turned around and walked away. 
but it definitely did not to, uh, move with the sense of purpose that the one outside of Eugene, I mean, he took off. And, did you see uh, it run or did you just hear it run off into the brush? No, I, I saw him turn, knock that tree down and run. So um, I saw him run, but then he was quickly swallowed up by the brush. So it wasn't like I had eyes on for any length of time after that. How far do you think you saw it run? Oh, maybe only about, oh, six or eight meters before it was covered up by the brush because it was pretty thickly overgrown. And did you hear it just kind of fade off into the distance or? Yes. Yes. Yeah. He, he tromped off and, uh, and that's why I knew that he was going the opposite way than we were going because I could hear him going through the brush. And I guess you felt comfortable enough that uh, with the distance away it was that uh, you, you were left alone there. Yes. Yes. I did not feel threatened at all. And neither did my friend Aaron. You know, we talked about, well, what do you want to do? And uh, I said, well, obviously he has, he wants nothing at all to do with this. He's going the opposite direction of camp. I say, we just go ahead and continue with our camping, which is what we did. Anyway, Bobo, as I was saying earlier about being able to trust Glenn's um, observations and estimates of distances, I think you can hear that now by him um, referencing everything in meters, by the way. He's not saying yards or or feet or anything. He's actually saying meters because that's what this man does, essentially. Uh, Everything is going to be accurate. With the Bobot computer, it does not compute. Seeing a Bigfoot twice as a child not being obsessed does not indicate great intelligence. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) yeah, interesting, interesting. Yeah, I just, you know, I I know they're real. I I have always been interested in them, but I, um, I didn't go out actively looking for them. I felt actually that, um, like I was struck by lightning. Um, I felt so, uh, 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 blessed essentially by being able to see these animals on two occasions. I, I almost felt like, well, gosh, what would the chances of me be going out and looking for one and then seeing one again? I just thought that that the numbers would be too astronomical. I'd be wasting my time, though I am very interested in them, and uh, uh, I re- like to read about them. I like to watch YouTube about them. I like to hear other people's stories about them, um, and uh, so it's uh, it's not like I'm just nope, no interest. Oh no, I I do have a great interest in them. It's just that uh, I I think it's uh, like I said it's it I feel like I've been struck by lightning twice, and what are the chances of that happening again? And also to be fair, I did meet you at a Bigfoot event. So there, there's some yes. interest there. You are doing oh, yes. the Bigfoot thing. Just maybe yes. perhaps compared to some of your other friends, you're not as interested as they are. Yes, yes, I think so. Hey, Glenn, when you saw it run, what was the running style? Did it, like, uh, did it look human? Was the arms pumping a lot? It had taken its right arm, knocked that little tree down, and then just ran really quickly and was swallowed up by the bushes. So I didn't really get, all I saw basically was its back going away from me. I couldn't really tell if the arms were pumping or moving or, you know, running like a monkey or anything like that. I just remember its huge muscular arm knocking that tree down and taken off. And I'm looking at the, the, uh, it's red fur on its back as it's being swallowed up by the bushes. Could you see any muscle? Was it too hairy or could you see muscle like definition moving? Oh, you could see it was, you could see it was extremely muscular. Uh, and, um, like I said, when, when it had the bushes parted and then it, we turned and looked at it and it had the look of surprise and it let go of those bushes. Well, when it took its right arm across, 
I could see its entire hand, which looked like to me like a cross between a gorilla and a human hand, and then the the uh, reddish hair, which I'd mentioned looked very clean. It was hanging down probably about six inches or so, and but the arm was massive. That it, when it moved its arm across, I couldn't even see its head and its neck. Of course, it was probably ducking down as making that movement. But I mean, that's how massive its bicep was. And you could see the huge shoulders and everything. I mean, this was a, an incredible, uh, incredibly powerful animal. Well, you know, Glenn, um, Bobo has a heart out here. He has an appointment he has to take care of. So yep. we're going to let him go right now. But I wanted to thank you so much for joining us on Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. Uh, you've been a good friend of mine for a long time. And I love your stories and your observations are just fantastic. So thank you very much for sharing them with, with the Bobes and I and also our audience, Glenn. You're welcome. Yeah. You're welcome. And thank you for having me on. Yeah, thanks so much. I've been hearing the stories, and it's always, I mean, it's basically what Cliff, you, there was details I'd never heard before from Cliff, hearing it from you, but I'd heard the story so many times I was familiar with it, but as always, when you hear it from the horse's mouth, it's that much better. Well, thank you very much, and I look forward to meeting you someday, Bobo. Me too. All right, I'll catch you guys later. All right, folks, thanks for listening to Bigfoot and Beyond, and thanks to Glenn, and uh, hit like, hit share, let your friends and family know about us. We'd appreciate it, and until next week, keep it squatchy. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond. 